Collins was a Japanese soldier who for 29 years continued to fight World War II on a small Pacific island because he had never heard that the war was over. Rescue parties were sent to search for him, but he hid because he thought they were enemy scouts. Leaflets were dropped, newspapers were dropped, photographs and letters from his family and relatives were dropped, all saying that the war was over and that he didn't have to fight anymore. But believing it to be enemy propaganda, he continued to live as if the war was ongoing. Finally, in 1974, a young man went on a mission to find this legendary soldier. He succeeded where so many others had failed. This long-lost Japanese soldier, now in his 50s, personally read the orders from his commanding officer that the war was over and had been for nearly three decades. The soldier's words were, what have I been doing all these years? 2,000 years ago, a man went on a mission to rescue you and me. He came to die in our place and to share good news with the whole world that the war is over. He has already won. And if we'll believe on his name, he will give us freedom. Freedom from bondage, sin, addiction, and fear. And the freedom to live lives of victory, truth, love, service, and forgiveness. The question is, will we believe and embrace the good news of freedom? Or will we continue to live our lives as if we're still in the war? Well, sometimes we, we, ha we fight that war all the time. You know, sometimes we wake up in a war position. We think it's us against the world and we are ready. But sometimes that war that we are fighting is not a war that we even need to go for. You know, today we're gonna to be talking about something that is a little bit different. It is not something that I was always talked about, but as I started to look at scripture, I realized that there's a lot of scripture about getting along with people. And today, we are not going to have us against the world, but we're gonna look at what God's word says about getting along. Now, I'll tell you that when I was growing up, I had one sister, and um, there, were, there were times that my dad or mom would, would say down the hallway, because all three of our bedrooms were down there, and we were usually playing in one of the bedrooms, and um, I'd hear them say, girls, Come on, let's get along in there. And then sometimes there was a second time. I said, let's get along in there, girls. Now, just so you know, you don't want to go beyond that because then they would be coming down the hallway. That was never good. That was never good. And um, just so you know, in case there's somebody younger here in the service, it is not wisdom to be mad at your sister and go in and slam your bedroom door. I just wanted to put that out there. Don't slam your bedroom door because there'll be consequences for that as well. Well, I had two girls, Amy and Missy, and um, I was really blessed because I had girls that got along really well most of the time. 
Um, and I, as, I, as I got older, I realized a lot of it is their personality. You know, they're very different personalities. Amy was much more the leader, the fun girl, that she, she could make whatever she was doing sound fun. And so Missy, who was the, well, I'll just go along with that girl, said, oh, yes, Amy, what a great idea. And so because they were really good friends, it wasn't very often, but every once in a while, Missy would decide she didn't want to do what Amy was, was telling her to do. And then we would have that squabble. And I would say, girls, come on, let's get along. Come on, whatever, I don't care. I don't care what she said. I don't care what you said. We're going to get along. We're going to get along. Now, my husband took a different approach. So he would say, girls, come on, let's get along, one time. Then if they didn't, they would be like, okay, come here. And so he would say, okay, I need you to both say you're sorry to each other. Look at each other and say you're sorry, and I want you to make it sound like you mean it. Okay, so they did that, and then he'd say, and now I want you to give each other a kiss. Do you know you do not want to give each other a kiss when you are mad, right? And so he would, they would give each other a kiss, and, and he would be like, no, no, no. I want to hear it smack. Do you know what that would be like? Right? And so they would do it, and he'd be like, that's not good enough. And so it was this whole ordeal. And before we knew it, the girls were laughing. They hardly even remembered what they were fighting about. Um, now, as they got older, they did not like this whole routine. But as they, when they were little, they just immediately forgot what they were fighting about. But do you know the Bible has a lot to say about getting along? So I want you to look at that first scripture. It's James 3, 17. It says, real wisdom... God's wisdom begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It is gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoys its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. So let's go to point number one. What we're going to learn today is, if I want God to give me wisdom, I need to get along with others. If I want God to give me wisdom, I need to get along with others. It is saying in that verse that if we desire the wisdom of God in our life, we have to become a person that gets along well with others. Now let me back up just a little bit to verse 13. It'll be on the screens. It's not in your notes, but look at verse 13, and then we're going to read down to that verse. Do you want to be counted wise to build a reputation for wisdom? Here's what you do. Live well, live wisely, live humbly. It's the way you live, not the way you talk that counts. Mean, spirited, ambition isn't wisdom. Boasting that you're wise isn't wisdom. Twisting the truth to make yourself sound wise isn't wisdom. As a matter of fact, it's the furthest thing from wisdom. It's animal cunning, devilish conniving. Whenever you're trying to look better than others or get the better of others, things fall apart and everyone ends up at each other's throat. Then we're down to your, what's in your notes. Let me read it again. Real wisdom 
God's wisdom begins with a holy life and is characterized with getting along with others. It is gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoys its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. Only if we do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor, can we expect that God is going to pour wisdom in our lives. And God lays it right out for us. He says it's probably not going to be easy to get along with others. But when you treat them with dignity and honor, God will honor you in return with wisdom. Now, how many of you know we sure do need God's wisdom? In this crazy world that we're living in now, we need God's wisdom. And you might not have noticed this, but 2020 is an election year. Did you even know? Because, you know, they keep it so quiet. But I'm not going to do anything political, but what I would like to say to you is if the Democrats and the Republicans would read this, these verses, it would sure help things a lot. Because what if, what if, even if they don't agree, they treated each other with dignity and honor and respected each other, what could people get done for this country, right? And in our own lives, right? In our own lives, if we realize that we are expected to treat people with dignity and honor, look what it says in Romans 12. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, haughty, snobbish, high-minded, exclusive, but readily adjust yourself to people, things, and give yourself to humble tasks. Never overestimate yourself or be wise in your own conceits. Repay no one evil for evil, but take thought of what is honest and proper and noble, aiming to be above reproach in the sight of everyone. So we're going to look at this verse for a few moments and just take little snippets, little parts out of it and look at it. And as I was doing this this week, there were certain parts that I kind of underlined Stuff that kind of spoke to me. So as I'm talking about it, if, something, if, if something's kind of resonating with you, how about if you underline that part of the verse? You know, the first part of the verse is talking live in harmony. In other words, we're going to all need to get along. The second part, though, says don't be haughty. And I love that the Amplify spells out what that means. Don't be snobbish, high-minded, exclusive. Do you know that we can be that way? We can. Do you know as Christians, people that love Jesus, we can be that way? We can look at somebody else's life and make a, a judgment on it and think we're better. Do you know what? We're not better. We just have received the truth and God is working in our life. We're not better. We just are ones... That, that have received Jesus. Sometimes we need to think of what we were before Jesus. Now, I received Jesus when I was in eighth grade. There wasn't really all that much rebellion I had done in eighth grade. But I was thinking this week, 
What if I didn't know Jesus? How would my, what one pathway would my life have taken? God does not want us to be snobbish or high-minded or think ourselves better because of what we have or who we, our profession or what, what we're doing. He says, no, we, we are all people. God loves us all the same. And we just are privileged to already know the truth and we need to be concerned and pray for those that don't. The third thing we're going to look at in that verse is readily adjust yourself to people and things. In other words, we need to become adaptable. By adaptable, I don't mean compromise. That doesn't mean compromise to, a, to the extent that I'm, I'm not holding on to what I really truly believe. I'm not saying adapt to the place that you have lost what Christ has done for you on the inside. But how many of you know there's a big difference between you just yelling about something and being, okay, we're going to work with this, right? There's a big difference. The fourth thing we're going to look in that verse is give yourself to humble task. You know, it doesn't matter who you are, but are you willing to do what it takes and what is asked of you with a good attitude? With a good attitude. You know what? Sometimes what we're asked to do might seem like, well, this isn't a very important job. I really should have had a better job. Look at what they asked so-and-so to do. Even in the church, sometimes we can get our, our, our get, get kind of offended that they would ask me to do this. Don't they realize how talented I am? But it's up to us to do it with a good attitude. The next thing it talks about, don't overestimate yourself or be wise in your own conceit. And, and I don't know if I'm old-fashioned, but some of you may have heard this. I used to hear this when I was growing up. Don't be too big for your britches. Have you ever heard that saying, don't big, be too big for your britches? Don't think so highly of yourself that no one else matters. Next in that verse it says, don't repay evil for evil. If someone does something bad to you, it is not your job to pay them back for it. It is not your job, if they've said something bad about you, it is not your job to go around saying bad about them. If they've done something bad to you, it is not your job to say, I'm going to make them pay. No, that's not, that's not what God says to do. No, instead, don't repay evil for evil. Do you know what? When we get to that place where we're, mm, I just want to get them back, we need to take a deep breath and step back and say, God, you know all of this. Somehow, some way, you turn it for good. And I'm going to keep the right attitude. Because when we keep the right attitude, that's when God can give us wisdom for the next step we're supposed to take. And then think about this. But think about what is honest and proper and noble and aim to do that with your life. Aim to do that with your life. And when we do this in our lives, when we ask God with confidence for wisdom in our lives because we are working, that doesn't mean you're always perfect, but whatever you can do, you are working to get along with people. 
The second thing I want to bring your attention to is if I want God to be merciful to me, I have to be merciful to others. If I want God to be merciful to me, I have to be merciful to others. Look at James 2.13. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. But to the one who has shown mercy, mercy triumphs victoriously over judgment. In this day we are living in, we are programmed to judge people. And it is easy to take that judgmental act. You know, if you were watching any of these news programs that, you know, the channels that go 24 hours, they're judging everything. Like they judge what they're wearing, they'll judge what they, how they said it, what they, what they mean by that, they judge everything. And we have a lot of judge shows, don't we? Judge Judy, People's Court, Paternity Court, Divorce Court. We have lots of courts, right? And sometimes if you watch that, pretty soon you're judging just along with them. And then what happens is, in life, we start judging people. We start looking at people and, well, why did she say that? What do you think she meant by that? What do you think he's doing why would, they, why would they do that? We start judging, and we judge very unfairly. It's funny because mercy is one of those things in our own life that we desire, but many times we aren't quite so fast to give it to others. You know, in Matthew chapter 18, it tells the story of a ruler whose servant... Um, owed him a lot of money. One version said it would be equivalent to millions of dollars. And the servant was brought before the ruler and he said, it is time to, for you to pay up. And the, and the servant said, I, I, I can't pay. I, like, I don't have the money. I, please have mercy on me. And, and the ruler said, no, I'm going to put you, your, your, your wife, and your kids, and we're going to sell you, and that's going to be paying for your debt, and he just begged and begged. And finally, the ruler had pity on him, and he, he not only released him, but he forgave the debt. Now, when they say forgave the debt, he owes it no more, right? But when the man, the servant man, left, he went outside and immediately saw servant number two, and servant number two owed servant number one money. They said equivalent to a couple thousand dollars. And he went up and just started screaming at the servant, you owe me the money, you need to pay me right now. And the, the man begged for mercy and he would not give it. Instead, he told them that he needed to go to jail because he would not pay his debt. Others that were around who had seen the first forgiveness and later the incredible act that he had done to servant number two went and told the ruler. He called the first servant back in and said, what have you done? Well, you don't understand. We never understand, right? That's the first thing we always say. You don't understand. And he said, you would not forgive way less than you owed me. 
And because of that, all of you will be imprisoned. Do you know what? We look at that story and say, I can't believe it. I mean, what was that guy thinking? I mean, he had been forgiven millions and went out and and acted like that towards someone else. Wait, sometimes we do the same thing. We have mercy given to us and turn around and are very demanding and expecting from somebody else. It says um, in James 2, in a different version, it should be on the screens, verse 12, looking at a different version, it says this. Talk and act like a person expecting to be judged by the rule that set us free. For if you refuse to act kindly, you can hardly expect to be treated kindly. Kind mercy wins over harsh judgment every time. And I want you to get that kind mercy wins over harsh judgment every time. So look at number three. If I want God's peace, I need to become a person of peace. If I want God's peace, I need to become a person of peace. Romans 12, 18 says, If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If possible, as far as it depends on you. Live at peace with everyone. Does that mean every situation is going to be easy to be at peace? No. Does that mean that I, I have to just go around and just be oblivious of everything? No. It means chaos could go on out here. And you do your very best to be at peace with everyone. There may be yelling at the office. You do your best to keep peace with everyone. Here's what you need to remember. Peace is more important than being right. Peace is more important than having my own way. Because sometimes we just want it our way, right? I And sometimes you get loud and you're saying, I want it this way. Well, you're probably not going to end up with things going well. And that's not what the Word of God says. As much as it depends on you, whatever they're doing, as much as it depends on me, I'm going to be at peace. BG's grandfather was a pastor. Um, my husband, BG's um, grandfather, was a pastor. And um, I remember when I was uh, first saved. And um, many of my family got saved and then others in the community. But we lived in small towns and there was really no church around that was really preaching about salvation and, and, and growing in Christ. And so we would go for these Bible studies. Oh my goodness, it would be all afternoon. We would we'd go with my mom and dad. We'd be there. We'd sing and we'd have Bible study and we'd fellowship together. It was great. And out of that, um, someone in that group met... Uh, Pastor Tolliver, my, my husband's grandfather, and said, could you come and start a church? 
And um, I believe that this was his first time coming out of retirement, although he came out of retirement a lot of different times. He'd retire and then a church would need him, so then he'd go and start working again. Um, but he was in the ministry for 60 years, and he had a couple of sayings he was known for. And one was that, for him, one that always stuck with me was, it's all right to disagree as long as you're not disagreeable. It's all right to disagree as long as you're not disagreeable. In other words, I don't have to agree with what you said, but I don't have to tell you like this. I can be talking in a regular voice and trying to be reasonable per to present my case. I don't have to come against you because you're my enemy. No, I can, because I'm walking in peace, I am going to be the kind of person that is not disagreeable. Because see, we have to remember who we are. We're God's children, and we are representative of his everywhere we go. Like I said, I lived in a little town, and we were known as the Hoover Girls, and everybody knew because my dad was the manager of the lumberyard, they knew the Hoover girls. And, you know, if you didn't do the right thing, they would know it, what family I belonged to. And my, my mom and dad would say, you know what? We expect you as Hoover girls to act a certain way, to act that way in our house and to act that way out of our house. We expect you to act a certain way because we reflected the family. And we are the same way with God. We are his children. And sometimes we act very badly. And when that happens, we just need to stop and ask forgiveness and try again. And say, God, I want to be the kind of person that people look at and say, I want to be like them. Because they're seeing the God in you. I don't want them to look at you and just say, well, they're just like everybody else. What good is it to go to church? What good? I don't see this whole faith thing. They're just like everybody else. No, we are going to live in a way that reflects that we have the love of God on the inside of us. And that means we will mess up, but that also means we're still striving toward it. It's not in your notes, but it should be on the screen. 2 Timothy 2.23 says this. Again, I say to you, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone and be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. It would sure be nice if that verse would say, be nice to really nice people, wouldn't it? It would be so much easier. Isn't it nice to be, to, isn't it easy to be nice to people that are nice to you? But it is not always easy to be kind and nice to someone that is gruff or grouchy or whatever. It is not always easy to be kind to a boss that is very demanding. It is not always nice to be around people that at work are fussing and feuding. But your job is to be kind and nice to them. You know what? There may be days, now don't, don't nudge them, 
There may be days that your spouse is grouchy. We're not going to look at anybody in here. Wait, sometimes maybe you better look at each other because it goes both ways, right? But sometimes we don't realize everything that's going on. Do you know? Sometimes they're not feeling well. My husband was the worst about this. He'd be grouchy with me, and instead of telling me he didn't feel good, I had to figure it out. Wait, now I'm irritated with you because you're grouchy with me. Wait, I wouldn't have been if you just told me you didn't feel good. I would have given you grace. But this verse said I should have given him grace and mercy to begin with. You know, what we need to realize it is it's our job to bring peace to a situation. My husband, BG, would um, use this uh, illustration quite often, and it was not original with him, but it is such a powerful illustration. He, he talked about that we go through life with two buckets in our hands. One is filled with water, and one is filled with gasoline. And when there is a little spark, a little flame, a little fussing, a little something going on, we have a choice. We have a choice. We can pour some gasoline on that and whoosh. All of a sudden, the little something that was going on is suddenly this humongous thing. Or we could take a deep breath, pour a little water on. What we have to realize is we always have a choice. Sometimes we feel like we'd have no choice in, in life, but we do. We have a choice. We can't always control the circumstances that we're dealing with, but we can always control how we react to those. And do you know what? Sometimes when you put some of that gasoline on, you might even get burned yourself because you can be too close to it or it can go whoosh and all of a sudden you, it has singed you as well. We have to remember those two buckets. I hope that illustration sticks with you when you are in a situation where you could do one or the other. Wait, I could let him have it and I could tell him, mm, or I could tell her, mm, or I could take a deep breath and find a way to express myself in a calm, reasonable voice and try and see if I can calm down the situation. We always have a choice, don't we? It's our choice. We can be a peacemaker or we can be a peace breaker. Psalms 34, 14 says, turn away from evil, do good, seek peace and pursue it. Seek peace and pursue it. Determine you're going to do what it takes to have peace in your life. And that might mean you need to change the way you act sometimes or maybe the way you react in certain situations. But peace is worth it. The other day I, I was watching a commercial and it was for um, the 2020 Olympic Games, Summer Olympic Games. And I saw the athlete as they were showing them putting the gold medal on. And I thought it took them a lot to get to the gold medal part. You know, sometimes in the, in the excitement of the games, we forget what it took to get there. See, that verse says we're supposed to pursue peace 
And those athletes have chosen to pursue the dream that they had for their life, and it has cost them. It has probably cost their family financially for what to be able to, to help them pursue the sport they're in. It has cost them time, a lot of time. When they interview athletes, many of them only have friends that are in the same sport that they are in because they don't have time for friends. They don't have time to pursue other things. They, they sometimes have sacrificed even by moving away from family and close friends to go where they can get training so they can pursue the dream that they have. See, I want you to get a picture of pursuing isn't just, oh, maybe I can just work that out. Pursuing is determining that we are going to pursue peace no matter what happens. Pursuing it. You know, my uh, a lot of times people will say, God has given me a word for the year. Have you heard people say that? You know, I prayed and I feel like God has given me this word and I'm going to really look at that word and I'm going to think about that word. And I, I kind of prayed about that this year and I didn't really get a word. I got more of a phrase. And I, I just, this has kept coming to mind, kept coming to mind. And I think this is what I'm supposed to be thinking about in 2020. It's if you want something you've never had, you're going to have to do something you've never done. If you want something you've never had, you're going to have to do something you've never done. And that might not be easy. Wait, probably it's not going to be easy. But I felt like the Lord was saying to you, Brenda, if you want something that you've sometimes at the beginning of the year, you've said, I want that, but you haven't pursued it. There's a difference between wanting it and pursuing it. And I felt like the Lord said, Brenda, you're going to have to do something different than what you did last year, or you're going to be just at the same place you were. And I want to encourage you today, just like the Olympic athletes have chosen to pursue the dream that they have for their life, I want to encourage you to pursue the peace that God says you can have. Don't be judgmental. Be merciful and finally determine you're going to get along with other people and choose to live this life as a child of God. At the, at the end of my notes, I wrote this. Those who love Christ need to learn to love others. Those who love Christ learn to love others. As Christ followers, our mission in life should be, I'm a Christ follower, and wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, whatever situation comes my way, I'm going to do my very best to keep peace and be merciful and get along with people so I can show them the Jesus that lives in me. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for an opportunity to come in your presence today. God, let us learn from what these scriptures are saying. Help us to maybe take a step back and look at how are we conducting ourselves? How are we conducting our lives? What are we doing to actually show people around us that we have you living on the inside of us, that you have come 
and actually made a difference in our life. And God, we today say we want to pursue peace. We want to pursue you and we want to pursue peace. Help us to be the kind of people that you want us to be. And right now, I just want to give you an opportunity. If you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is your opportunity to do so. I'm going to pray a prayer. And as I pray it, if you'll just repeat after me, and that will be you saying yes to asking Jesus in your heart. Father God, I come to you because I need you. I admit that I have sinned. And I ask you to forgive me of every sin. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Be my King. I choose to live for you every day for the rest of my life. Amen. Amen. Well, today I hope that... um, This has brought some things to your attention in your life. And I hope that you can keep the peace of Jesus as you are walking down the hallway and people are trying to go the opposite way. Or as you're trying to get out of the parking lot, show the love of Jesus, everyone. Love of Jesus and the peace of God as you go. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.